0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: It's time to stop focusing on business problems and start focusing on the growth and leadership of your business. Welcome to The Business Edge with your host, Marsha Zeidel. Learn to create a growth agenda to get your business on the right track and keep it there. Rev up your growth engine with exceptional talent and develop the right kind of leadership to move it forward, fast. Now, here is Marsha Zeidel.
2: Welcome to the Business Edge, giving practical advice to entrepreneurs and business leaders on how to take their company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. I'm Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves coach, getting you on the right track, keeping you on the right track, and making sure you don't get sidetracked in your drive for purpose, performance, and profitability. Let's start with a Smart Moves quote from Karen Mills, the daughter of the CEO of Tootsie Rolls Industry and the former head of the Small Business Administration. She said, I grew up in a family business. That really has provided the core of my belief in America's ability to grow and operate businesses that can compete and also be successful. Listeners, did you know that family-owned and operated businesses are big business today? They account for nearly 90% of U.S. businesses, some 5.5 million such entities and about one-third are headed by women. They include Walmart, Ford, Marsh Chocolate, as well as successful local companies in your community. And they are and will continue to impact our economy in very positive ways. My guest today is David Sigleski, CEO of Dynamic Growth Strategies. Who will give insights into the characteristics, decisions, and pitfalls of family businesses using examples many firsthand? You see, David, like me, grew up in a family business, and today he works with many family owned businesses, particularly on strategy, expansion, and succession. Welcome, David. It's a delight to have you on the show. Well, thanks,
3: Marsha. It's a delight to be here, too. Thank you so much for inviting me.
2: Well, let's get right to it. Um, You know, when we talked about family business, many of us think of the mom and pop store, the grocery store, uh, the cleaners, whatever. But um, I think it's more than that. So what has been your experience in the kinds of family-owned businesses you see and have worked with?
3: Well, Yeah, you're exactly right, Marcia. You know, it's funny. We we think of family business as being the mom and pop, but it really is beyond that. And and like you, I grew up in the family business. I've had family businesses pretty much uh, my entire working career. Um, And really and truly, they really do account for so much more. And you hit some some interesting statistics. I mean, we don't realize, but, you know, they're basically – it's a third of the S&P index is family-owned, family-controlled businesses. They can. They employ about sixty percent, a little bit sixty two percent of the workforce. Um, you know, it's everything from your local barber, your cleaners, up to some of the large companies you mentioned. Um, I have had the opportunity, you know, beyond my own sort of upbringing in the family business. Uh, about half of my clients today are family owned, family controlled businesses, and and some of the things that that I've been able to to do with them is really helped them understand. Both parts of that equation—family piece and the business piece—and to, to work them, to work with them on those issues, particularly around growth, around how to manage uh, uh, the people in their companies, how to manage the, the productivity, uh, the products, as well as, as as the processes they go through. That's the kind of things that, that I have noticed uh, in, in particular. And, and again, the, these businesses account for such a large part of our economy um and it's 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 something that really it's becomes essentially the backbone of 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 our economy and and also i think also kind of the backbone of our of our society in many ways as well
2: um so um you know as you said the statistics are out there there's a lot of family-owned businesses some very small some very big um from your experience, what is the single most mistake a family business can make?
3: You know, I, I think the, probably the, the single most is, um, and, and it's, it's, it's ironic, because it's not one we would think of, but not looking towards the future and not making plans, both from a business and a succession, as in who will take over uh, in the next generation. Uh, that's probably the biggest mistake um, I see. Some, some 40% of current family businesses will change leaders we know that in probably the next five years and only about a little over half um or i'm sorry a little under half have really chosen a successor I, i've seen this in the clients that i've worked with both good and bad I've, one of my uh, largest clients is a janitorial uh, services company um based here in plano texas uh Prestige maintenance and, and they clean cleans a lot of large relative, uh, retail companies around the country one of the things that the the founders the, the parents did was quite smart. They trained their children from very early days as to what the business was about, uh, all aspects of the business, financial, people, processes, customer relations, working with um, uh, all aspects of the customers, how to do the bidding process, how to get involved with the community. So so they did a really good job. Likewise, I've also worked with some clients um, that haven't done a really good job. You, oftentimes... Those who found the company um, really honestly stays on just too long. They they <laughs> stay on. They're not ready to move on. They don't... Um do a really good job of preparing, either through assignments throughout the organization or of sharing information with with the next generation. They stay on, and, and, and in fact, there's a term that a client of mine came up with that they meddle for too long. They you know they, they, <laughs> yeah. they just they keep their hands in. in and I, I, I'll a client I'm not going to share the name, but he still at some 90 years old still comes in the office every day, and, and it was frustrating for. The, his daughter, who had taken over the company, she, she one time in tears said, you know, every time I make a decision, they run into my dad's office. Oh. And, 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 and it was fascinating because I was able to share that with him, and he was stunned. He had never seen it that way, and he right. felt terrible that that was happen. But I think that's probably the biggest piece is they just don't think about – um, the, the future, uh, and, and, and I've talked about the succession piece. But they also don't even think about from the product standpoint. Oftentimes, you know, most family businesses come out of they define a need for change. They see something better from a product or a process or a service, and 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 it's ironic that that almost becomes. Um, I don't know how best say it. It, That actually works against them wanting to change for the future. So, and I think the two are intertwined: succession and change in the business. Because the founder, if they stay on too long, it's harder for them to change because they've been successful. Typically, they're just not ready for to let go to let the next generation take over. That that's probably the biggest. Um, source I have seen. Um, uh, either There's no plan, there's no strategy, there's no planning for the next generation, next growth in the business as well.
2: Well, you know, you, you've sparked so many questions uh, in my mind. First one is, um, I have seen uh, where uh, there are, like, say, three brothers or two, mm-hmm. two brothers and a daughter. Um, and even, uh, how, do, who, who, have you seen problems where who was deemed to be the successor really didn't want it? It's like yeah. usually the older, the oldest. Right. But one of the younger brothers has the, has both the uh, motivation to, to continue. So what do you do in that kind of situation?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, it, 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 that's a great because I have seen that. Um, I, oftentimes the assumption is made the oldest will take over. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've learned, and this is not just from my own learning, but from other folks who have worked with family business for many years, uh, they have said and preached to me, and I think it's true, is that um, look at the the talents and strengths of your children. So I'll use that as an example. Mm -hmm. And and build from there who your next leader is going to be. So don't make the assumption it's the oldest, um, who we often think is the wisest and has the most Mm -hmm. time to learn everything. They may not have the skills. Um, they may not have the ability. They may, they may lack um, either the creativity, the financial, or the business acumen, that, that you really have to look at who is the best suited from the skills that take over the company. Um, and, and I think when, when, when the founders and, and, and those people who have started the company take that as their first approach... Um, I found it be useful because you hit on an example that I've actually seen where they made the assumption that the oldest son would take over. He had zero desire, <laughs> in, a, a total zero desire, and, in fact, they wasted time and effort. Um, you know, Again, I go back to one of my clients where the parents were astute in figuring out the daughter had the more business acumen, the son had the more operational acumen, and put them in those roles, and they are flourishing in those roles and as a company. Um, so so it, it takes that sort of looking outside uh, uh, of what you would expect and to look at the skills. It's, nothing like, it's no different than making a hiring decision, and that's really what you're doing when you're looking at that next generation is just to what the skills and experience that person can take on and then build from there.
2: Well, you know, you mentioned the hiring decision, and let's say this scenario that they need to go outside the family to hire, and uh, so for the people out there who may be thinking of working for a family business, uh, what should you be aware of, and we only have about two minutes left, so let's start it, and then we can continue it after the break, okay?
3: And I'll start with the, probably the biggest thing. When you go to work for a family business, and it's—I've experienced it as well when I work in family businesses as clients—is that you're never part of the family. Um, don't mm-hmm. make that assumption, even if they go to the point of inviting you to weddings and bar mitzvahs, uh, and they—they they call. I've even had clients call me "son," um, and um, I've had—I've gotten you know cards for birth announcements and those kind of things. Remember, you're never really part of the family, and, and that doesn't mean to be hard and cruel and so forth, nor disrespectful to anyone involved in those situations. But it's 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 it's, it's a trap you can fall into, particularly because. Family businesses want a family atmosphere, but you're never really part of that family. And, and you have to keep And I remember even the businesses I grew up in, um, those people my dad were really close to were never really part of our family, right? Um, right. And I think that's probably the first and biggest. Um, and, and I can talk a little a bit after the break some, some of those examples that I've seen and experienced firsthand as well.
2: Um, Okay, well, why don't you uh, start an example, and then uh, we can finish it, because we still have a little more time, okay?
3: Great. Great. Um, I'll talk about a client I've worked with, and uh, it's a fairly large chemical company, and um, they had brought in a new CFO. Uh, uh, and immediately he clicked with the owners. He clicked with the founders. Uh, Everyone was in love with the guy. Uh, He was invited to to the weddings and so forth. Um, And and unfortunately, he fell into a trap that many times people fall into. He thought he was a member of the family. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he... Honestly, he got involved in a situation where he was, I'm going to use a term that I don't like, but I think it's best to I think we all know what it means. He started gossiping about the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but in my family, when you gossip about my sister and cousins and nieces <laughs> right. that's not a good thing. And, and, it's not and a- unfortunately, he sort of crossed that line. Uh, and and right. they brought me in to, to work with him to help him understand what it was all about. Uh, and, and some of his struggles that he was really struggling with was he had gotten sucked into well, I'm one hold, of them.
2: Okay, can you hold that thought? Yeah. Because I think that would be a great thing to come back to. Uh, so listeners, it's time for a short break on the Business Edge. I'm Marsha Zidel, your Smart Moves coach. And when we return, David will continue with the pitfalls and insights of working in a family-owned business. So stay tuned.
0: Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle.
2: Welcome back to the Business Edge. This is Marcia Zaidel, your Smart Moose Coach, and David Sagelski is my guest today, talking about why family-owned and operated businesses is big business today. And at the end of uh, the other, the first segment, um, David was was telling us a story about an outsider who. Uh, was working in a family business and did something that you're not supposed to do. So why don't you continue with that, David?
3: Yeah, thanks, Marsha. You know, really what he did, he he, he assumed that because they were you – know, family business is one of the nice things that that, that, that differentiates them is they do try to p- treat people in a family atmosphere with respect, and their cultures are usually stronger, and that's all great. He made the, they, So they started calling him a member of the family, and unfortunately – he made that assumption that I can treat people and I can talk about them and I can gossip about them. And, and, and so when I was brought in to work with him, he had sort of crossed some of the lines around gossip and some privacy issues. And, and one of the things that I helped—I think I helped him with—and and I say that because he's still there—is um, <laughs> is that he had to understand that in, in family businesses, is that yes, there's a family atmosphere, but it it doesn't always extend. You don't automatically become a member of the family just because you work there, um, and, and because even things like privacy of financial information, privacy of, of, strategy, privacy of some of the things I said earlier, succession, is still to the family. Um, and so he kind of he, 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 helped, he I think he got he got the message eventually and understood what that what that line really is. And it's a it's a tough line uh, for people. It, it, and by the way, I've also seen family members cross that line as well. In other words, when they realize they have shared too much about their own family,
2: to mm-hmm. non-family
3: members. I've seen that happen as well. So, you know, that, that cause it, it goes back to what I said before the break, is that family businesses are both businesses and family as well. And, and so it comes with all the goods and the bads and the uglies, if you will.
2: Right. So let's move on to... Um what differentiates many family businesses? Talk a little more about that.
3: Well, you know, there's there's several things. First up, um, and I touched on it earlier, is their culture. Oftentimes, the you know, family businesses usually start because of the founder who has a perceived need for change. They see something that uh, isn't is a new product or a new process. Um, they they get something started out they a creative piece. Um, and, and because of that, their their culture tends to be more creative. They tend to be open to innovation, um, particularly early on um, mm-hmm. in, in their in their uh, history, um, and, and, and and they're also typically uh, able to. Um, uh, 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 bring in outside ideas easier, and in and that and sense, I'm talking about when they when they're hiring people, for example, to work in other parts of the company. They're really open to uh, more areas around diversity, diverse mm-hmm. issues, different different opinions, um, because they realize that they need that 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 um, that that's that, that uh, sort of uh, uh, divergent ideas to, to grow their business. You know, one of the interesting things is that is that and, and I. I think I said earlier around is that it, 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 the whole growth and, and diversity and creativity also becomes their their danger, particularly if if the founders have stayed on too long. But but one of the, one of the things I've I have actually seen a couple of groups that I've worked with is when they've made that successful transition to. The, from first generation to, to second generation. And I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but it's, it's always been fascinating to me, and, and the research bears this it out. It's also been sort of my experience. Is only about a third of uh, family businesses are able to successfully transition to the second generation. In other words, there's someone in the second generation who really can and will take it on and can show mm-hmm. leadership.
2: But, mm-hmm.
3: but but typically, if if they are able to make that transition and open up to some more creative, they can even continually grow. And, and usually, that growth comes from um, uh, going beyond what they initially started with. Um, I mean, all we have to look at some of the examples we're probably all aware of. People don't probably realize that, like, for example, Marriott, the, the hotel chain, started right. as a root beer stand. Right? <laughs> And, again, it takes oftentimes that second generation to look at something like, you know, we can grow this business in different areas. We Uh can um, make a difference in different areas. And, and again, when they're able to make those – when they're able to to look at things differently because – Often in the failing business, and, and again, by the time they get sung a duration, they've gotten bigger, obviously.
2: But right, they still right. are able
3: to, to as I like to say, turn on the dime uh, and, and make those changes and, and say, you know what, this is a different industry we want to go into. Or we want to invest in this Growth area, um, and, and again, once they've made that transition, I think they can typically see that growth. The interesting thing, and this goes back to what we said earlier, is that they, since they account for so much growth in employment and the, and the GDP, is that they tend to have a longer term view of growth. Okay. They're um, they're not as concerned, which is not to say they are not concerned. They're not as concerned with with, with with daily and, and weekly P&L. Certainly they do have that concern. That's not to say that. But they are looking at the longer term and, and how they're going to sustain and move through um, into, and, and grow their business. Um, so, so, so I think that's kind of an interesting d- differentiator because it's all about growth. It's about the creativity right, right. and the culture that they really will foster. Um, uh, I, I've seen that over and over. You one know, of the things that's also intriguing and it goes back to the culture is I see so many family businesses have an understanding that they are part of a greater community. Mm-hmm. So they tend to um, ensure that they support community efforts, whether that be local schools, uh, local fire and police, uh, local United Way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they, they will have that kind of thing, whether it's Habitat. One of my, one of my clients, they, they, Every year, they're doing it right now. They, take, they give everybody in the entire company in their corporate offices a day off to go work at a charity. And then this year, they're all working at McDonald houses, both in Chicago and in here in the Dallas area. And, and that's something that they, they feel so strongly about. And I see this over and over that we have to give back. One of the things that I was actually taught to by one of my clients, he looked me in the eye one day. He goes, what are you doing to give back to the community?
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He, said,
3: he said to me, point blank, he goes, you're a great guy. But you got to start giving back. That's what we do. We enhance the communities. So it goes back to that sort of whole culture and that whole longer term, that bigger scale view that I just see them over and over having. Um, it, it, well, and
2: it, yes, and you know what? You, your enthusiasm comes so strong, <laughs> and you have such great ideas. But I really think we need to move on <laughs> to our next uh, question. And, and I know at the uh, in the beginning of the fourth uh, segment, you're going to tell people how to contact you because you have so much to offer. But let's move on to because you talked a lot about change uh-huh. and how. Um, you know, it starts out, the business starts out, and you use Marriott as a root beer stand, and it's now this great uh, big uh, company with many different divisions. So, um, and change is a really important topic for all businesses and all companies. But let's look at family businesses. How do they react to change? Is it any different than the big companies or, or, or privately owned companies, or what is it like? You know, I, I don't know
3: that it's different from the standpoint of uh, uh, of, of, a, of a typical what we see in a change. I think the difference is is that and it's back to the irony in that they typically have started the company because they saw a, saw a need for change,
2: mm-hmm. and the
3: irony is that they oftentimes resist, particularly the founding generation, resist move into different markets and different products, and, and, and oftentimes it takes that second generation. Um, Perhaps more time than you would normally see in a corporate, and I and I spent 17 years in high tech, uh, and we could we actually could actually make changes fairly quickly. Um, but but I see in sometimes family businesses, because they're they're they're, they're it's not they're they're not illogical. That's not at all. but Their logic oftentimes is circular, right? Because they mm-hmm. want to take in well, the consideration of what it's really going to do, how it's going to affect. Every aspect of the business, the P and L, the, the 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 profit, the the people they look at, they look at the community. So again, they take a bigger picture view of it, and so because of that, I have seen them oftentimes take too long, um, um, and they, they also because again they have a you know it's that founder syndrome of you know I founded this company it things got to be great. Why do I need to to change? You know, <laughs> um, and and I think that's the other thing that that becomes. Um, a, a, bit of a, a, a bit of a sticky wicket, if you will, to, to make the change. And, and it's fascinating when it gets to it, and I've only seen this happen in a couple of my, of my situations, where they have, they have really reached the impasse, if you will, so uh, from one generation to the next. And,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and, and what I have, have learned it works is you really have only probably four options at that point, either sell the company... Uh, and that means to someone else, or someone buys out everyone else. You merge it with another kind of company. Um, you decide to close. You've done the best you can. Um, so, and, and again, this is sort of the, the last one is, is it some stays, so In some family members may buy out another family member. You, know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think for that one, all we have to do is look at something like the TV show Dallas, which is obviously, many of us remember here in, in the Metroplex about, about it, but I think it actually has lessons that we can see even about how they were risk adverse at change and how they dealt with some of the family matters as well. So It's actually sometimes very telling, if you will
2: right and um anything else about a change I mean what you said was uh, they resisted mm-hmm. um and just you know we have a, a couple of minutes how do you deal with that what do you do when you see uh, a family member or the founder or whatever resisting change
3: sure um I, uh, I think that's and this is not tooting my horn as I would say it to any family business that I know out there it, 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 it it's 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 knowing when to bring in an outsider and how to use them and keeping mm-hmm. them as an outsider right so so they have to and it's something that that is so true. Um, family businesses have to network and develop a, a network of trusted advisors. And, and, and I'm of the opinion they don't need to go to one advisor. They need several advisors. Right, It's, right. The, old, it's the old, you know, the, the king has no clothes, right? Um, right. It, one of the things that, that I hear oftentimes of myself and of people who are like me is that thank you for telling us something that no one else will tell us. Right, right. Um, because oftentimes, and, and, and even they will even say, even my own family members won't tell me what you're telling me. Um, uh, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I will tell them. So, so I think that that's one of the things that, that that is critical. If you're the founder or the person who's who's trying to preserve and move forward the the, the family business, is have someone you can call on, and, and a few a, sta- a, a very strong stable of advisors outside your family who can who can give you sort of the honest opinion, as well as the honest um, numbers to back up those opinions that you can really trust.
2: Well, on that note, it's time for a short break. Uh, this is Marcia Seidel, uh, the Smart Moves Coach on the Business Edge. And when we return, David will continue talking about the ins and outs and the joys and challenges of being a family business. Stay tuned.
1: Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send us an email to Marcia at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge.
2: Welcome back, listeners, to The Business Edge. This is Marcia Ziddle, your Smart Moves Coach. And David Sagelski is my guest today, talking about family-owned businesses, the challenges and the joys. And so let's move on to a really important question, uh, David. Uh, Because, you know, you talked about they seem to be... It, it, it's almost a, a dichotomy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, some family businesses look to the future and try to plan for the future, and some re, uh, resist planning for the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, what must a family consider to ensure lo- uh, longevity and survival of the business, especially sure. of a family business?
3: Sure, sure. Well, it, it goes back to the old saying, the future is going to always happen. Um, and, and, and I've said that many times in working with 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 these kind of organizations and these kind of businesses is that, you know, you you can decide to resist it, but it's still going to happen. So you need to do – the first thing is is think about what are you going to be doing in the future. That's both from a strategic business perspective, Mm -hmm. um, your people perspective, your process, your productivity – and even as well as what are you going to do with your family strategy as well. So are you going, you know, what are the options you're going to explore and, and to, to, to think of that? And it was fascinating. Again, I go back to one of my long-term uh, relationships, and he said, but that means I'm going to be gone. And I said, sure. Sure. But what legacy do you want to leave behind? And it was that sort of light bulb moment. He goes, that's exactly what I want to make sure. I want to make sure that there is longevity in this business that I've built. And so that, that became sort of the catalyst for a series of discussions, and a series of working uh, towards uh, of, of really getting him – out of the day-to-day and out of that, and, and just look at what are the strategic decisions he needs to make. He, he, even harkens back to a the discussion they had with um, a local restaurant owner here who's got a couple of very successful restaurants here in the Dallas area. And he was sharing just a month ago about, you know, we asked about him and his family. He said, well, you know, it's kind of sad because my boys aren't going to want to take over in the business. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, 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 I, and I was sharing with him. I said, you know, that's common, is that you've been such a successful dad. Kids, you know, one kid's got a, a law degree. One, quiz, one kid is very successful in his own business. And, and so you've trained them really well. They've just chosen not to go into this line of business. And, and I share with him, I said, that's exactly what I did. I, my dad, I grew up in the grocery business. I didn't go into the grocery business. But, but there are skills they will transfer on, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And, and
3: again, his whole notion was, well, I'm going to have to do something. And that goes back to what I was saying before the break. Let's look at selling the business because you've got a lot of value here, right? So that's about the business strategy uh, as well. And I touched on earlier the other thing they have to do is, is on a whole succession planning. Is, is that Since we know only about a third are going to be taken over by the second generation, what are you doing to leaders? You know, in, if you're going to keep it sort of as a family business, what are you doing to bring in other leaders perhaps from the outside to, to make sure that the company does succeed and move on to uh, to be a, a legacy and to to be something that will, will sustain you know, sustain generations to come. So, um, I, I think the uh, the other thing is uh, it, is that um, family businesses also are concerned with. Um, you know, managing the relationships both internally and uh, with their businesses, their employees, um, their, their, their vendors, but also managing the, the <laughs> family aspects as well. And, and I oftentimes tell the story about being told, being asked by one of my clients to go and visit his, one of his sons and to see, be still, see how things are going for him. And that was very difficult for me to <laughs> have that conversation with him because it was, I said, I'm kind of the outsider here. And he said, that's exactly why I want to send you. You won't know what to look for. You'll give me that unbiased, unfiltered opinion. And and he he taught me again in that lesson that is find trusted advisors who you know you can trust that they're going to tell you, um, not necessarily the truth, but they are unfiltering the truth, if you will. So seeking that sort of outside help. Um, The other thing I would touch on is that – It comes back to being family members and family, um, family behaviors. And when they look to the future, is that don't expect your children. And I'll use that term for since we're talking family. And and it goes back to a question you asked earlier: is that one of the things when I I work with with sort of the founding generation, and they're saying, well, what should what who should I put in what role? I'll say to them, if your child's the peacemaker at home, they're going to be the peacemaker at work. If your child's a detail oriented and keeps lists of stuff and can mm-hmm. tell you how, how they spent their allowance at home, guess what? Put them in the accounting department, right? in the financial role right. it, it, because behaviors just don't change. Um, and, and it was, again, hilarious because I had that conversation with a client one time and they said, oh my God, you're absolutely right. You know, <laughs> Here we yeah. thought we were trying to train our son to do something and he was very unhappy to the point of rebelling uh, both internally in the company and also in the family. And those behaviors just don't, just don't, just don't change. Certainly there's some need to, to learn the entire business if you're going to take it over, but but just realize those behaviors are pretty much the same. And it, 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 it also harkens back to a, a conversation I had one time um, with, 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 with several, and this is research even backs this up, is that when founders look to transitioning it to the second generation, they also look at what have they taught their children, if you will,
2: mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And
3: they, they look at have we taught them how to... Um, to, to volunteer and be a part of that community. To understand what it means to be a part of a community. Have they, have they, have they instilled a need for volunteerism, philanthropy? Have they, Un- help them understand they have to make their own mark and all you've got to do is look at what's going on for example with Microsoft uh, with Bill Gates and his next generation or, or with Berkshire uh, you know what they're doing is, is they're telling their own children you've got to make your own mark on the world mm-hmm.
2: Well, mm-hmm. right
3: and, mm-hmm. and oftentimes you, you see that played out on a large scale but it's also played out oftentimes in, in the smaller scale as well
2: well let me you know um, let's move on to a question which I'm just going to throw it at you here Um You've talked about a lot about, and I know you've had success uh, companies that have been successful family businesses and not successful family sure. businesses. What, dis- what are the two, three th- you know things that distinguish successful ones from non-successful
3: ones? Sure I, I think, I think the, the first thing is, is a, a uh, successful ones will plan for the future. They'll plan the business. They'll plan for the succession of, of the business uh, awesome. leadership. That means perhaps the next generation. If not that next generation, then they'll make sure they have uh, the right leader in there as well. So that's probably the first thing. They, they plan for the future. Uh, and they don't just deny that it's going to happen, and they don't just hope it will get better. They don't just say, well, certainly my kids will have figured out about how to do this, or certainly someone will step forward who can run this business. They really do take on that. Uh, As something core to them, if you will. I think mm-hmm. the second thing that that they do is they, um, and this is maybe a bad thing. I've kind of said so, but they once they realize it, they they and they see it in the second sort of in, in the in the future,
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: is it, it, is that whole aversion to creativity, which again mm-hmm. is ironic because oftentimes how how these businesses start, they start from the need to fill something that they see a gap in um, and, and once they kind of cross over and say you know what I'm not going to fear change in the future um, once they've gotten to that, that comfort level then I believe that they and, and oftentimes, it's really difficult for the founders right because right. they're the ones who made the chains. They're the ones who came up with the new idea, the new product. And oftentimes it's hard for them. Um, all you got to do is look at what happened on Shark Tank last week. I don't know if you watched that program. And,
2: no, uh, I want you to you, you we, we do have time, because I know I want to get you to the third, but tell me a little bit about the Shark Tank.
3: Okay? Well, you know, there, there was the guy, the, the husband and wife, who had, had, had invented this great cake pan that basically gave everyone the crust on, on brownies. And it has been a great seller. And they were there selling a new pan. And, and basically the sharks all said, look, your idea isn't that genuine anymore. You know, you, have you ridden this pony to the, to the most that you can ridden it? And, and, and they, the point they were all making in unison, all the sharks were, was that you have to be really inc- continue to create differences. And they really weren't creating anything different at this point. Right, and and, and when I was watching, I thought, you know, that's exactly what happens often to these family-owned businesses. They don't think really and truly outside the box anymore.
2: Right, so they have to be open to change and not adverse to change and creativity. Absolutely. Um, And then, um, you know, what are a couple of the other things that you want uh, our uh, our listeners to know? Because you talked about. You know, some of the things that distinguish between successful and non successful family business. The first thing was plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second was that don't be risked. you know, don't be adverse to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, always be creative. What's a third one? You know, and, and,
3: and pr- I probably touched on it earlier, but I think the other one is, is, is keep a stable of outside advisors or people, that trusted advisors. I love that term that, that, that you can go to. That will help you make these decisions. Who will tell you um, uh, an unfiltered um, uh, uh, listing of what's going on? Um, and I think not only does the founder or the first generation have to do that; they have to understand that that the second generation has to cultivate. Perhaps even different ones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I've actually been involved now with two of my clients into the second generation, and it's fascinating because I was not a huge advisor to the first generation, I would say, at, at best, a tangent. Um, uh, at least in one of them um, and, and, but in the second generation I'm much more embedded with the second generation and perhaps it's the age thing I mean certainly that's, that's what's going on there as well uh, but, but I think it, it goes back to is, is it find people that you can trust that can tell you things unfiltered um, in a respectful way um, mm-hmm. but it can tell you you know when you know what that's not the smartest thing you could do or have you thought of it this way um, and, and again, I, I think that's oftentimes starts with one generation and it has to move to the next generation as well and, and oftentimes it is different on the second generation for who they who they consult with and on what
2: right and just one last thought we have about a minute left what What else would you like our listeners to know?
3: Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to is um Family businesses take many different sizes and shapes. It does come in the, you know, your local cleaners up to large companies such as Walmart. Um, and, and I think particularly if, if you look at from the standpoint of you're going to go work for or work with one of these, understand that they have two parts to it. I've said that several times. They're both a business, but they're also a family as well. And, and there's, there's pros and cons on both of that because I have seen people who work for family businesses crying and, and, and jumping up for joy, crying bad, jumping up for jo- oh joy if they're so happy, because they don't realize that they really are both elements. If you characterize that to oftentimes publicly held companies, the, the level of emotion can sometimes... Differ because they don't understand. They they, they they don't make. They don't have the family atmosphere, if you will. Uh, and there's goods and bads of that. But just realize if you're going to go work for or work with one of those, that that's going to exist. That's going to exist a little differently and a little stronger than you will see in sort of public health companies.
2: So there's you know a, 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 on that note there's the family atmosphere plus the family dynamics. There you go. Which which we really didn't get into, but that you can come back and talk about that. Well, you just hit it on the head. Well, listeners, it's time for a short break on the Business Edge. This is Marsha Zotto, your Smart Moves Coach. When we return, David will tell us how you can contact him and how you can get more information about family-owned and family-operated businesses. Uh, Stay tuned. Welcome back listeners, this is Marcia Zotto, your Smart Moves Coach, and my guest today has been David Sizelski, CEO of Dynamic Growth Strategies, talking about the joys and challenges of family-owned businesses. He had such great information, I know you would like to be able to uh, contact him, pick his brain, even use him to help you in your family business. So David, please tell the listeners how to contact you.
3: Well, first off, Marcia, thank you so much for your... Um Inviting me today, I've 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 I've, uh, I've always admired you from afar, and have recently uh, we've struck up a stronger relationship. I've just enjoyed. Uh, getting to know you and thank you so much for inviting me today. Um, I, obviously, I have a passion for family businesses. As I said earlier, it goes back to, I, I actually show a pa- picture sometimes of, of myself in the baby carriage on my dad's grocery store on the counter. He had me at mm-hmm. work probably at six months old a- mm-hmm. and it's a passion that I have carried through. I've had two businesses with my sister and we are still best friends. I've, I've worked with family businesses um, for about the last uh, 12 years or on and off in my own practice. Practice. It's, it's certainly a passion that, that I have had it's probably in my DNA if you will and, and, and the passion comes from is helping them understand that the, the business elements how are they going to build their, their their productivity how are they build their profitability how can they bring in their people and their products and their processes but also how do they deal with some of the family issues that are going to come into play right so so how are they going to both treat people as family and also how do they maintain their own um family as well, and help them through those issues, because they're not going to always be easy, um, right. uh, and, and, and so that, that's one of the things that I try to do in my practice, I, 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 I've, I've worked with, with companies that are $100 million to, to $5 billion to truly the, the small restaurant here that's basically at about a million, so... Uh, so,
2: so, David, how can they contact you, because we sure. have this limited time, what, which the, what's the best way?
3: You know, there's two ways, you can go to my website, dot dynamic growth strategies.com um, and you can find how to contact me you can learn a little bit more about me there. My email address is easy to remember it's just David at com. Um, even though I'm based here in the Dallas area I tend to get around the country and work with a lot of companies um, throughout, the, um, throughout the, uh, the nation as well. so um, I love to, to work with some of your folks uh, some of your listeners. Um, it's just something that's a passion and something I just truly love doing so would love to hear from people.
2: Well, thank you so much, David, both as a personal friend and as an expert on family businesses. Good luck and have a great day. Thank you.
1: It's time for Marsha's Musings, a tasty morsel of wisdom and wit to take the growing pains out of growth.
2: Why leaders eat last. Effective leadership requires us to look beyond ourselves and consider the larger community around us, to focus outward rather than just inward. That was a theme of a full-day LeaderCast Live I attended in Dallas recently. Having the title of leader is just the beginning. Leadership is what happens after that, what happens when you look beyond yourself into the lives of those you lead and the organizations you work for. Here are key points from two of our speakers. First, Simon Sinek, leadership expert and TED speaker. He said, I met a guy from the U.S. Air Force, and in August 2002, he was flying above Afghanistan. He hears a call saying, troops in contact. He knows the troops are in a valley between two huge mountains. He swoops down, sees enemy fire coming from both sides, goes after certain targets, and then pulls up to avoid hitting the mountains. He does that again and again. That night, 22 Americans went home without any casualties. When asked why, he said he did it because they would have done it for me. Do you know that officers in the armed forces eat last and the most junior person eats first? When, as a leader, we're willing to take care of others first, our team will take care of us. The officer will never go hungry because he will always be looked after by his or her team. That's why leaders eat last. The second speaker was Malcolm Gladwell author of The Tipping Point and David and Goliath. He related the story of Ian Freeland, a British military leader who was sent to Northern Ireland in 1970 to quell the rioting there. He was an old-school general who believed he had the authority to create order, and he used that authority arbitrarily and without understanding the reasons behind the uprising. He, the general tells the British army that they'll be home by Christmas but they weren't actually home for another 30 years. His mistake was one that leaders make all the time. You see, leadership is not about authority. It's about a commitment to and a responsibility for others. The real reason people follow their leaders are because of their actions. They are seen as being fair, respectful, and trustworthy. Have you exercised your, How you exercise your authority matters. It just doesn't matter what you say, but also how you say it. So here's a smart moves tip. The reality is leadership will never be measured by, by what one person is able to accomplish as a result of his or her talents and abilities alone. It can't be. Leadership implies the existence of others. After all, without followers, there aren't any leaders. Are you listeners putting your team before you? Do you eat first or last? If you want to make sure you're one of the bad beyond you leaders, then get the effective manager series of handbooks. It will give you 232 practical tips to make smart moves as a leader. Business Edge listeners will get a 20% discount on these four handbooks. Contact me at Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com or call 972-380-9181.
1: You're listening to Marcia Zidle, the Smart Moves Coach, making sure you're on the right track and not getting sidetracked in your drive for high performance and profitability.
2: Next week's topic is Unleash Power of Diversity, Multicultural Competency for Business Results. Does being different work for you or against you? What is your brand, your personal presence? How do you leverage diversity effectively in an increasingly global market? The answer lies in Debjani Bishwish's thought-provoking book, The Five Judgments, Analysis of Personal Brand and Stereotypes. She brings real-life global examples, first experiencing gender diversity as a female engineer and then cultural diversity as an Asian executive in the U.S. Tune in on May 28th, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Listeners, here's a smart move question. Are you an absentee manager or one who is an obstacle remover? Do you stand back from the actions assuming you can't change things? Or do you do everything you can to help your people reach the goal line? What obstacles are getting in the way of your people in their doing their work? Remember, there are three kinds of people in this world. Those who make it happen, those who let it happen, and those who ask, what happened? Which one are you? If you're finally motivated to make it happen, let me help you make it happen. Let me make you and help you be an obstacle remover. Contact me at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com or call 972-381-9181. Thank you for listening to The Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves executive coach and speaker, helping entrepreneurs and business leaders take their company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. Innovate, improve, ignite, or die. Make Smart Moves. Stay tuned to next week's show.
1: You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel. Please join us again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And enjoy taking your business to the next level.